You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> go ahead, pull up a chair. Here we go. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, guys, welcome uh, to the Afterlife. Man, I'm really excited. I know I say that most of the time, but, but I actually mean it this time. Um, I got one of my all time favorite comics, Alonzo Bowden. And, <laughs> and you know, it's funny because we've never hung out. You're sort of, look, you're a comedy legend at this point. I know you probably don't want to hear that shit. But you really are. The first time I just well, have to say, the first time I saw you was Dublin's before I was a comic, and it was like Dane Cook, Ralphie May, Bobby Lee. It's amazing how many people came out of Dublin. Yeah, by the way, yeah, that was um, such a. It was such an incredibly creative time. You know, yeah. I compared Dublin's for us to like the the. I guess it would be the Improv in New York, like when or Catch a Rising Star, or Catch, yeah, back when yeah. like Seinfeld and, and Paul Reiser yeah. and and Damon Wayans and all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like when they were all doing that. That's the way Dublin's was for us. Yeah, uh, for yeah, I mean, Ken Jeong, Sebastian. Yeah, that's right. Everybody, everybody it was, insane. was there. Yeah, and I wasn't a comic yet. I was actually out for. I just graduated uh, grad school, or maybe I was still in grad school for acting. And I just came out with a buddy, and we went to Dublin's. I think the draw for a lot of people, it was a bar that doesn't exist anymore on Sunset Boulevard. A lot of hot women all the time. Yeah, Jay Davis absolutely. is a hot woman magnet for a absolutely. reason I still don't understand. But um, <laughs> the comics on the show, and this is before I was even really a stand-up fan. I wasn't doing it. I, I didn't realize that I was watching something really special. It's amazing. I feel like there should be a documentary on it or something. <laughs> well, so does, so does Jay. Jay thinks <laughs> yeah, of that. course he does. You know, it was... You know, it started out as basically as an open mic. There was a little bar next to Dublin's and they had like it was the bar was downstairs and we would do it on Tuesdays. And it was me, Dane and Darren Carter and a few other people. And this is how I started with the thing of not having any material. Yeah, I would literally bring my notebook and just like read ideas and do it and there might have been you were like alt before alt was a thing yeah, kind of i yeah. guess so <laughs> there might have been 30 people there 50 tops right and then ahmed ahmed and jay moved it to dublin's and at the same time dane was becoming dane yes right it was like parallel so he was a big draw because and i didn't even realize it at the time how big he was with colleges and and that generation you know he was becoming the king of the colleges and then it was when social media first started right myspace was myspace and at that time facebook you had to be in college to get on that's right i remember that yeah right so so dane knew we didn't know anything about this right like i joked that you know he built this and i remember he was talking about he built a website for like ten thousand dollars like this fully interactive website and i was like and that's when we only thought the internet was for porn we did not know it had a use beyond porn and the occasional email and you know so he was growing but also dublin's was becoming a scene because people they they were like man these comics are good we were above we were pros this was like our pro open mic yeah. It was where pros could work out. And the women, like you said, it was comical. The, the staff was Coyote Ugly before there was a Coyote yeah. Ugly. The women who worked at Dublin's were 
these insanely hot and they were funny. You know, mm-hmm. that was the thing. They were cool and the whole vibe was good. And then Hollywood kind of took off, right? Vince Vaughn would come every week because yeah. he was friends with Ahmed Ahmed. And then all these different stars started dropping in and hanging out. But to me, it remained an open mic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would go up at the end of the show every week and just yeah, work. Yeah, you were the kind of the closer. Work. And you would sit on the stool. I sat on the stool. Everyone else was like running around the booth and J- Dane was jumping on shit. I s- and you would just sit there and plant and follow Dane and yeah. murder, <laughs> dude. Well, it was uh, part of that was, and again, me and Dane are friends. We've been friends a long time. And I said, listen, man, I'm not trying to be Dane. Yeah. Like at that time, and this is how I always said that Dane wasn't a comic. He's a rock star. Yeah. It's a different energy. It was a different, whole different thing. And all these people are trying to be Dane. And I said, man, they're imitating you before you're even famous. That's how, yeah. that's how you know you knew he was on a thing, right? But it was like, man, I'm 6'3". At that time, I was a muscular 230. Now I'm a fat 260. Shut the fuck up. But anyway... <laughs> I said, the last thing I need to do is start jumping on the furniture. Dude, Can you imagine how scared the front row would have been? The white women would have ran for Man. the hills. So I just sat on the stool. I worked ideas. And it was a great vibe because it was like a yin and a yang between he and I. Yeah. And But always, I think, always a friendship, always a mutual respect. And and then the comics just started coming when they heard about it. And every, like we were talking a minute ago about Rogan, you know. Joe would drop in. I mean, Chappelle would drop in. Uh, you know, every any and everybody who came through town dropped in to do Dublin's. And yeah. for you know, for three years, man, it was great. But it was so creative for me. And it, the funniest thing about it to me was toward the end of Dublin's, when Dublin's was winding down, I got on Last Comic Standing. That's right. Yeah. And the, the fans from Dublin's were like. We didn't know you could do regular comedy. <laughs> like, they thought all I ever did, maybe I should have stayed with it, but they thought all I ever did was sit on a stool and do crowd work. That's so funny. <laughs> they were fascinated that I actually stood up and did comedy. <laughs> yeah. I think if you're not a comic watching stand-up, it's already like a magic show. But when you see someone do crowd work, they have their whole set. You're. It, it's literally like you're watching, like, where the fuck did the king go? You have no idea. <laughs> How they're able to work that fast and of course as you start doing it more and more and more i mean you're still one of the best at it but you realize that some of the tricks are kind of built in from experience you oh yeah, find, yeah yeah you you know there's there's not a lot you start <laughs> recognizing things that you hear and there's not a lot that's going to surprise you i still love when something surprises me like if i ask what do you do for a living like yeah. i remember i was doing a gig once and this woman from cincinnati and it was like what do you do and she was like, I do quality control. And I'm like, come on. She did quality control on caskets for a funeral company. And I was like, who knew? Yeah. Because who's going to complain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they have quality control? But so, so every now and then you get something like that that's just a hilarious, unexpected, you know, um, Response. I still remember when the first. By the way, we just have a uh, a fan of Alonzo Bowden and fellow motorcycle enthusiast, Carolyn Clem. Hello, Carolyn. Who showed up, of course, late. So and she rode a, She rode in a dress. So there's something I've never done. See, now you talk <laughs> about surprises. Now I've been riding motorcycles for forty years. Oh wow! Never in a dress. So or high heels. You've already won. Well, you, you, no, it's not gonna. No, we're not, I'm not that progressive. 
So if you've been riding a motorcycle for 40 years, you must have had some hairy moments. Was there ever a moment where you're like, ah, fuck this, no more, and then you got back on it? No. No, never, never that. I've been hit. I've been hit by cars a few times. Uh, One time, knocked off the bike and broke my wrist. One, and this is one of those, and you've had this experience, where you have a set you wish you had on tape. Yes. So it was, uh, I'm riding to the Laugh Factory, and right here on Sunset, somebody like tried to make a left like from a side street across sunset mm-hmm. you know the four lane left you're turn. not gonna do at 10 o'clock on a saturday night you know what i mean yeah. but, so they tapped my bike and my bike fell over right like i it and i went to the factory and i was so mad like i went into this whole rant about stupid drive and it was hilarious you know and and i was like man i Fuck. wish because i couldn't get that energy again cuz yes. i was so mad at their <laughs> stupidity in that moment and yeah. i was like man i wish i remembered anything i said yeah that'd be amazing <laughs> that night. and now you're going out you're driving around like waiting to be hit by a car like, come on i need a yeah, really good on, set just, right now but it was because it was one of those things it wasn't really a hit it was more like a tap, a tap. it was just a just a stupid because you know saturday night on sunset in non-pandemic times you're moving at five miles an hour like yeah you know like no you're not making a left across this like you said across three lanes of traffic like the hell is wrong with you yeah okay you're not on mic carolyn so either (laughs) shut up um and road rage is a real thing when you're in a car but i have an i have electric bike that you can see around the corner right there and when someone almost hits you or does hit you and you're that vulnerable, it, it taps into a rage that is, like, unparalleled. Have you had moments where you're like, I'm going to murder this well, person? Well, you know, we used to. Okay, this is probably in the 90s. Um, people wouldn't, we'd knock mirrors off. Yeah. You know, we'd go by and just punch or kick your mirror under the theory, well, you're not using it. <laughs> so, you why, you know. And then that kind of chilled out. I think uh, freeway shootings kind of. We said, yeah, we should stop (laughs) doing that. Now they're they're shooting each other. But, yeah, you get mad. But you mentioned the electric bike. I ride bicycles on occasion, right? And, I mean, the lack of, like, motorcycles get no respect. But bicycles, I mean, people have to kill you on a bicycle. When I see see those people zooming around on their bikes, and I grew up in New York. I grew up riding a bicycle through Manhattan, you know, with the whistle, and you're cutting through traffic. And that's and was, before they had bike lanes in yeah, New York. It yeah, it was fun. Uh, but but out here, they're going, so like I had a friend, she had her pelvis shattered because somebody Jesus. rear-ended her downtown on her bicycle. Like, on a motorcycle, we have enough power to, to escape and to fight back. Yeah. You know, I'm actually quicker and more maneuverable than any car. But when you're on a bicycle, man, you know, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's insane. And now what's funny, pandemic driving. Oh, yeah, pandemic driving. What's that? People are going so fast, right, because there's no traffic and they're not used to it. So, so there's just like joy riding. People are on the 101 thinking the speed limit is 101. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm doing 80 on the 101 and get past by like a Toyota Tercel, you know, that's doing 115 or something like that, you know, and it, yeah, people are driving crazy because there's room. Yeah. And, and 
I've trained to, to go fast. Like I've taken driving classes and motorcycle classes and I'm not an expert, but I think I'm better than most. Yeah. And, and I'm doing it on a motorcycle or in a car that's designed to go fast. You know, a Camry's not designed to do mm -hmm. 110. Like, yeah. Slow the fuck down. Yeah. I've noticed <laughs> that when I'm driving, a lot of times people will be behind me like during the pandemic, like honking what the fuck some people are like taking photos of my license plate yeah and i'm like first of all where the fuck do you have to be that you're driving so fast there's nowhere to be right now like ralph's is open what else where else are you want to go yeah. so it, it's crazy i do want to talk to you about the pandemic because i'm always curious about people's response to it you obviously have somewhat of a lackadaisical response because you're here without a mask um oh i have a mask but we're far enough apart yeah I but are think. you someone who feels like because the range of theories and the range of reactions is, you know, anything. So there are people who think, like I just had Ocean uh, Galpion. He was like, it's it's a fucking hoax. And he was like, me and my family will think it's kind of bullshit. And there's that theory. And then there's the people like, we're all going to die. Right. So the people who think it's a hoax, with all due respect, are idiots. <laughs> and and this, is my, this is my problem with the hoax thing. I was talking about this on a podcast today. What's the end game? Yeah. Why would they do it? You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, Governor uh, Newsom is, is out to take my freedom and shut the... Well, why? Yeah. D did he short stock Tesla and want to bankrupt them so he can make money in the market? You understand? Yeah. They, they never can tell me why, who's... Well, everyone's behind the hoax. The reason I know it's not 5G is because I have T-Mobile. And if it had anything to do with phones, I'd be fine because yeah. T-Mobile service does not exist outside of a T-Mobile store. That's the only <laughs> time. Yeah. No, but so so no one in the conspiracy group can give me a reason for the conspiracy. It's the Democrats out to get Trump. The Democrats can't organize well enough to pick a candidate. That's true. Yet you think somehow they secretly developed a virus worldwide, secretly amongst themselves <laughs> and are, are systematically killing people and more people are dying in blue states than red states but they you know it, it's anytime they have a big conspiracy theory my thing is okay first What's of all the end game? Yeah. why second of all do you really think that many people can keep a secret yeah you'd have to have so many scientists uh doctors everybody who was involved in, in you know the bat you'd have to get the bat to keep a suit like you got to kill the bat <laughs> after the bat gives it to us you got to kill the bat so so no it's now the other reaction um we're all gonna die no they just like everything else common sense dictates right mm -hmm. so and and i just talked about this on my podcast the thing with the mask when it first started i didn't wear a mask because i was reading i i tend to read what doctors say not what politicians say yeah and they said you don't need a mask, right? This is in March, early April. Then they were like, well, you need a mask to keep from breathing it on other people. The mask doesn't protect you, it protects other people, right? And I didn't know where to get a mask. I went on Facebook. I said, where do you find a mask? <laughs> and people were like, oh, here's where you get one, here's where you get one. Some guy was cool. He said, listen, man, meet me in this parking lot. Like, it was like a dope deal. He's like, I got masks. Meet me in this parking lot. I'll give you some masks. Are you serious? Yeah. That's Because I didn't know where to get them, and he, he had them. So... <laughs> So anyway, I, I talked about this last week. What's the big deal? If, if they say when you go into Ralph's or Target or, or whatever, put a mask on. Yeah. So I keep masks in my car. I got a mask in my jacket when I'm on a motorcycle. When I go in somewhere, it takes me about 30 seconds, put the mask on, 
do whatever I got to do, come out, take the mask off. Yeah. Not the end of the world. The governor ain't out to take my freedom. No one's mm-hmm. out to kill me. Being polite. I remember when it first started, I think we did the last show at the Laugh Factory. Yes, yes. And it was right at the beginning of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you were like, look, I'm a, you're six, you look, I thought you were six five, you're six three? Yeah. You're just a fucking giant, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> so you just like, look, I'm a giant black man. I'm not going to wear a fucking mask. Right. That's not a good look for me. People are going to run. Well, let me tell you about that. And this, this is hilarious. So in March, this is what it's like to be black in a pandemic. Let me tell you, Bill. <laughs> in March, there were two black guys in Illinois, somewhere outside of Chicago, and they were wearing a mask in a, I think it was in a Walmart. And the cops chased them out of the Walmart and hassled them and all this and all that, right? In April, there was a brother in Philadelphia on the bus not wearing a mask, and they dragged him off the bus and they beat him up. And I said, it's not the mask. It's being black is yeah. more dangerous than a mask. You know, yeah. it, it, it's, I joke about it, but as you know, jokes are based in reality. Of course. So, so it was like, yeah, if I'm wearing a mask and a hoodie, Walking into a bank, like I'm not worried about the virus, <laughs> you know. I'm worried about one of these gun-toting assholes from Michigan. Now, do, do you, I get that? Do you feel? Because I know you travel everywhere. Obviously, yeah. you go to a lot of red states when mm-hmm. you perform. Do you ever feel? And this is something I guess I can't really relate to as just like a, a cracker ass cracker. But like, are you ever in these situations? Like, I got to get the fuck off the street now. Is it? Does it ever feel that no, way? No, um, for a number of reasons. Uh, for one thing, when you're doing comedy shows, like those, the, the guys who are walking around downtown Raleigh carrying rocket launchers, <laughs> they never go to a comedy club. Yeah. They're the angriest people, man. They're, they're just fucking angry and they're afraid. And, and so, so I don't have to encounter them. Also, and these are all Trump people, right? When they see my picture, they ain't coming to the show. Yeah. See, they see your picture, they might go to the show because they might think, oh, he's one of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and I don't really know your politics, but I know you as a person with common sense, so I don't yeah. think you're, you know, an extremist or anything, but <laughs> that's the difference. But when I'm, so when I'm walking around, I used to get more of people being afraid and, you know, the white people crossing the street was very real. I've aged out of that. Yeah, as I'm, I'm at an age now where they're like, "Ah, he's not a threat." Twenty years ago, <laughs> twenty years ago, he scared the shit out of me. But now, and and honestly, driving while black, right? Now I'm old enough to have a BMW or a yeah. Mercedes. That's why they don't pull me over. I've always loved cars, man. In my twenties, I got pulled over like you just kept your license and registration ready. I mean, yeah. I remember I had this Corvette. I was 21. I had a Corvette. I got pulled over so much in that thing. You know what I mean? It was just, that was just part of the game. And and all of my friends, we worked at Lockheed. We were young kids who had great jobs, so we had nice cars. We we were making too much money to be 19, 20 or whatever, you know? And cars were our toys. So, yeah, we knew, especially working in Burbank, it Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, you're going to get pulled over. As soon as you get there, you got to just, yeah, this is my car. So you had like a protocol about how you react to it, like, here we go Well, you had to, you know, the whole thing is true, man. Uh, Okay, I'll tell you how it is. Pulled over. All right. Both hands on top of the steering wheel. Take your left hand, reach outside the window, open the car door from the outside, put your hands out, step out of the car, put either you put your hands on the hood or lay down on the ground. And that was just to so be pulled over yes. and checked. So you get out of the car before they ask you to get out? No, this is what they would have you oh, do. Oh, okay, okay. They, wouldn't, they would instruct you to do this 
from their car. Yeah. But what I'm saying, the point being is this could be for rolling through a stop sign sure. or whatever. Like, that's just what it was. The the In the 80s, and this was, this was part of the OJ thing, right? In the 80s, we had a police chief here called Daryl Gates. Uh-huh. And this guy was as racist as they come, and he hired racist cops. He lo- he'd go down to Alabama and Arkansas and recruit. Like, this, this is really? all... This is all proven. This is why in the OJ thing, when people said the evidence was planted and all that, this is why it was believable because everyone knew what a racist the police chief was. So it was like, this is a rich celebrity black person. Like there was a famous case of Marcus Allen. You remember Marcus Allen running back? For the Raiders. So Marcus Allen's driving a Ferrari and he gets pulled over and this cop has him face down on the ground. And another cop pulls up and he's like, the fuck are you doing? And he's like, his registration's wrong. And the cop's like, the hell is wrong with you? Do you know who that is? It tur- he, he mixed up registration. Marcus Allen, he got more than one car. So he had like the registration from his Mercedes yeah. in his Ferrari, whatever it was. Yeah, and it was like, man, if, they, if they're jacking Marcus Allen, I don't stand a chance, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> if Marcus Allen can't have a nice car... Yeah. Alonzo Bowden better be walking. Yeah. Which and in itself is risky. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to talk about a little bit of uh, of your history because it, it yeah. always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have similar backgrounds, but I have an aerospace engineering degree from college. Mm-hmm. And there was a time I interviewed at NASA at one point. Wow, you were going to be a rocket scientist. Yeah. I mean, I got my degree. You must so be like, a horrible disappointment to your parents. Tell me about it. <laughs> both my brothers are doctors, so... And they both married doctors. Are you sure you're not Asian? Because you're you're literally giving an Asian bit right now. Oh, really? Every Asian comic, <laughs> their parent wanted them to be a doctor. And then Dr. Ken actually did it and then turned movie star. I don't think his parents complained. Yeah, exactly. But No, but, I, I'm definitely... But I, I never... <laughs> had, I, I interviewed NASA and I remember thinking it just seemed... It was a lot of cubicles and boring nerds. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. But you actually went into aeronautics now as, as an engineer, right? No, I, I was a mechanic, actually. A mechanic, I started yeah. out. Uh, my first job, I, I went to aviation high school in New York. I got my licenses, called an A&P license, which you need to work on aircraft. And I got hired by Lockheed in Burbank. That's how I moved to L.A. And which my, must have been a fucking great job in the 90s or whatever? 80s. 80s. 80, 1980, man. I got hired by Lockheed in in. Uh, June of 80. Actually, and it must have been on fire then. Yeah. Like, it was, yeah. There were 20,000 people. It was a city. Yeah. And we were building the stealth fighter. They were building a few planes, but I worked on the stealth fighter, wow, the amazing. F-117, which it was funny because it was all top secret, right? So I'm 18 and I have to get a secret security clearance. So my boys who I grew up in New York, they, they're, yo, man, what'd you do? And I'm like, what? what you, yo, man, FBI was asking about you, you know? It's like, of course, they only had to check me to when I was 18, which was a matter of months, so it yeah. wasn't a big deal. But anyway, yes, yeah, so that was my first career. I did that. I worked on the stealth for like three and a half years, and I got laid off. Then I started bouncing around doing a lot of different commercial and modification stuff. But I was in the aerospace industry for 10 years. And then I started training new mechanics. That's where the comedy came in. Like, I yeah. was always, you could always make you always laugh, funny. You're always yeah. funny. But I'd never been in front of the room. And from the first day I taught, when I went to the front of the room, it, it didn't bother me at all. I wasn't the least bit nervous. Yeah. Like, a lot of people, you know, public speaking, stage fright. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was fine. And then, so after a couple of years of that, 
the two kind of came together. I said, man, I want to try comedy, right? And I was talking about it for about a year before I did it because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how like you how come do up you with start? material, yeah. how do you start. And the girl I was with at the time, she gave me this ad for a comedy writing class. <laughs> and the graduation was due five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I did the class and I did the five minutes. Was that in L.A.? Yeah, it was in Santa Monica. And I got hooked instantly. And then I got laid off. I was working at McDonnell Douglas and I got laid off. And I just made an agreement with myself to never work on planes again. And I started chasing comedy, you know, but I started late, man. I started at 30. Wow. You know, yeah. So, I think, but, I th- you know, it's yeah. worked out. It has worked out. <laughs> now, here, there's something I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. And this might be, you might like this question or you might hate this question. <laughs> but, but it's coming from the purest heart. Yeah. You should be a household name. You're one of the best comics you fucking know, ever. And I think in the comedy world, people know that. But I put you up with Louis C.K. and I kind of go, it's not like I know he, you're, you're an unusually cast comic. You know what I mean? Right. Your type and stuff. But also Louis C.K. is like a, a balding, fat ginger. Man, so I really appreciate that. It doesn't hurt my feelings. You know, back when... When we were doing Last Comic and stuff, and I've known Jay Moore for a long time. I knew him before Last Comic. And Jay would always be, you are the most underrated comic in the world. And and I appreciated that. And um, he, I've never been good at publicity. Yeah. And that's what it is. I love the work, man. I, I mean, you know, I, I just love yeah. the work. I love the creativity. I never learned the publicity side. Even now... Like my social media, I finally got a good person doing it and yeah. it's growing fat because, you know, the social media thing, right? Me and Heffron joke about it. So John Heffron and I, we've kind of paralleled each other. We've competed against each other on like Star Search, Next Big Star, Last Hilarious. Comic Standing. You know, he won season two, I won three. We're, we're, we're old friends and, and this and that, right? And we joke about it that we missed the, the Tonight Show. We missed the 80s because yeah. we both started in the early 90s. George Wallace used to always tell me, he said, man, you good. He said, man, if you was around in the 80s, you'd have made a lot of money. He said, I made a lot of money. You ain't make shit because you weren't around, <laughs> but you would have made, you know. So we missed that, right? And and that was when you wanted to get on Carson and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, so we missed that era. Then when social media started, say around 05, 06, not even then, more like 07, 08, 09, we were too old. So mm. we literally timed it perfectly to end up in the middle. <laughs> we were like right there. Like we joked that when we won Last Comic Standing, we had tens of thousands of MySpace friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? That's hilarious. So, I, I mean, I could sit back. And you, you know who helps me a lot with this? Dom Herrera. And mm-hmm. when I say helps me a lot, it's watching Dom. Now, there's another guy. You talk about who should be a household name. You talk about legendary, famous, funny, right? And friends, you know, his friends, the 80s guys, were tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. And these are guys who probably opened for Dom, right? Yeah. But Dom never, I never see Dom bitter Yeah. about it, you know? And, and that's kind of what I learned from him. I mean, this game, it is what it is. I, yeah, I tell people all the time, like, I do all right. I'd love to be a millionaire. I'd love to have a few million dollars in the bank because then that's security and you don't have to worry about shit, you know, and you're yeah. okay. But... Um, I love the respect I get from other comics. That's the that's what I get. You never hear anyone talking I, shit about Alonzo. I work. I've worked with the 
absolute best in the business all over the world. You know, me and Dom were talking about that. We're headliners worldwide. I've headlined in the UK. I've headlined in Australia. Anywhere they speak English, I've headlined. Pakistan. I don't give a shit. I headline (laughs) Pakistan. So... So that's the kind of thing I have. So I do appreciate you saying that. And it's funny. I became one of the old guys about seven or eight years ago. And I knew I was becoming one of the old guys when the young guys were asking me shit that I remembered asking. <laughs> and I knew the answer. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm an old guy. What happened? You know, it, it, it is what it is, man. It, it's such a I call it the lottery business. You know, we're in the I could still make it, right? I could of something course. could happen. And, and by the way, you have though. No, you no also I know, have, I know, you know, but you know what I mean, like yeah. like like you say, household name or, or millions of dollars. And and I've seen it, you know, Billy Gardell's a buddy of mine. He's another guy. Funny, nicest guy in the world. Everybody loved him. When Billy got Mike and Molly, he was about to move back to Pittsburgh yeah. and do radio. Wow. And then he got a show and it became a syndicated show and, it, you know, everything changed. And, and so you, you really, you don't know. Um, Jeff Garcia, I don't know if you know Jeff. Uh-huh. Jeff told me, he Jeff got into voiceover and he did um, some movie with Robin Williams. I, it might have been Aladdin or something like that. I don't know what it was. But he said Robin Williams told him, yeah, you keep trying to make it until you don't. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. 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 It, it, you know, so, I mean, I'm all right, but thank you. I appreciate the compliment. And and there's times when it gets frustrating. There's times where I'm like, damn, what am I not doing? Yeah. How did I miss? But, but it is what it is, you know? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, it's also, it's also one of those things, like, if you, I'm not a jazz aficionado, but if you talk to real jazz aficionados, they go, you got to listen to El, El Salvador de De. And yeah. I go, who the fuck is this guy? Like, He's only the best six-string guitar player in the fucking world, and everyone in the jazz world is like, "This is the fucking guy." But outside the jazz world, people are like, "Who, who is that guy?" I in a way, you kind of want to be that guy too. You know what I mean? I love that you mentioned jazz because you know I'm a huge jazz fan, and I do these jazz cruises and hope host jazz festivals, and I know, I know that. A, yeah, yeah, and I know a lot of jazz musicians, and I tell people like, "Yeah, I know some of the best musicians in the world." You know, when they do the Grammys, uh-huh. the best musicians are there in the daytime. Yeah. You don't you don't see Wayne Shorter get his Grammy. You don't see people have heard of Herbie Hancock cuz of Rocket, but they don't know everything or Chick Corea. These are like when Chick Corea plays a piano, piano players just stop what they're doing and yeah. they're like, "Oh, that's how it's done." You know, or or Marcus Miller or Stanley Clark on the bass or whatever, you know. These guys there's a guy named Paul Jackson Jr. that we joke about. He's on every record. If you Google Paul Jackson Jr., he's the session guitarist on thousands of records and hundreds of hits. And you never know who he is because what they do is they play pop stuff, R&B, hip hop, rock, whatever, to get their paycheck. But their passion is playing jazz. And that's when you hear their talent. So, yeah, yeah, I know some of those guys that you're talking about, you know, um, and people don't know their names and they're incredible. Like if you hear a woman named Diane Reeves, if you hear her sing, you're like, oh, okay, it's done. No (laughs) disrespect to Beyonce or Lady Gaga or, you know, Katy Perry or anybody else who sells millions of records and makes millions of dollars. If they hear Diane Reeves sing, they're like, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Diane Reeves. So they, you know that you know it's like it's like playing ball right you're you're a ball player 
But then there's Jordan and LeBron and Magic and Bird and Kobe, guys who played it on another level where you're the fifth guy on the bench. You're like, yeah, well, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, that exactly. That's a different yeah, and of course, sports you know. is different because sports, like the metric for sports is if you are the best, you will become the most famous one. But usually, that's not the same. Yeah, usually, but, yeah. But, but in music, no, music doesn't. Music and comedy as well, Music yeah. and comedy, you know. And, and again, you know, you know that there's some hilarious guy, you know, in Iowa or, yeah. or Florida or somewhere that you haven't seen. And then you see a set and you're like, wow. Jesus Christ. But, but things have to fall into place. So I was, and the other thing that was, I started in L.A., Right. And I joke about the fact that I started in L.A. because I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> so my education, man, when I did the um, open mic at the Laugh Factory. Right. You know how that is. You oh, yeah, go you wait in line. Noon, you wait in line for eight hours to do your three minutes. And Jamie talks to you. Buddy, buddy. Jamie talks to you. And um, he hired me to be a doorman. He said, I need a doorman. That's right. You were a doorman. And so I would be there every night hoping people didn't show up, right? Because that's the only time I would get stage time if people were late or they didn't show up. So I'm watching, every night I'm watching Damon Wayans, George Lopez, Don Marrero. Was Pryor around then too? Uh, no, Pryor wasn't around, but but I mean, um, Rodney Dangerfield used to drop in. Uh, but But these were the regulars. The regular roster was like George Wallace, George Lopez, Damon, uh, Dom, and and... Every night I'm yeah. watching these guys work and it was like, oh, so I'm going to master class yeah. every day. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to you, talk to him a little bit and you just learn things. And so I and then when I got thrown on stage, man, I remember one night. So you're working as security and you yeah. got thrown on. Exactly. Well, yeah. If people didn't show up or whatever, I would get spots. Right. That that was my whole reason for being there. And I remember one night, man, Chris Rock went up at about 10 and Chris Tucker went up at about 11. And then I went up at like 12.30, quarter to one. You know what I mean? Whoa. So it was, and I joked, because both of them were joking about their family asking them for money, because this is in the early, mid-90s when they're both becoming after stars. Right. It was after Friday, and, and Chris was coming off of um, SNL, Living Color. You know, so they're starting to make it, right? And I said, man... If I ever make $10 million and complain about my cousin asking for money, you guys just come up here and whip my ass, you know, and the whole crowd started laughing because it was like, man, you got, you know, you, you made $10 million off Friday. I think you all right if mama want a few dollars, you know. But anyway, but it was just to be around that and to work with them. And you, so you, maybe I was becoming good and not even realizing it sure. because I was around people who were so great. And Frazier, Frazier had Frazier Smith after midnight. That was another thing, man. That show was every Friday at around, I don't know, it started 12.30, 1 in the morning. He was on KLSX, big time radio station. It's a huge show. Everyone came to that show. We would have porn stars to Lakers. Like everybody was in the audience. Rockstar. It was a hang. Yeah. So Frazier heard me one time. He's like, wow. He said, hey, you want to, you know, open up my show, write some stuff and this and that. So... I was opening, so I was doing a new five minutes every week. I had to do new five every yeah. week to open that show and and be around that. So that was another, you know, the education, man. That was the education. And people don't realize who are, that is fucking difficult to have five minutes of material that you can present to an audience that you're 
right. every week. You know, it's right. not it's not easy to do that shit. But you know what was great? I didn't know it wasn't. Yeah. See, that was what was great was I didn't know that you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Right. So that's why I did it. Had I known that, man, five minutes every week is impossible. You can't do a new five every week. <laughs> then I probably wouldn't have done yeah, it. So true. But the fact that I didn't know. And I, you, remember, I'm watching, you know, George Wallace. He got that damn pad with him at all times. George is never not writing a new joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and Tom Dreesen, same way. Yeah. Yeah. And Damon Wayans, I watched Damon. So he had done a thing called Damon's Last Stand. He said he wasn't going to do stand-up anymore. It was like an HBO special or something. Then, of course, after a few months, he was like, I got to do stand-up again. And I watched him. He built a new half hour. He would come to the Laugh Factory for an hour every night, wow. like late night, just do it. And and I watched him build a new hour over a you know six-month period or whatever. So, so yeah, it was a master class. Man. Yeah. You're also one of the comics that I watch. I don't think I've ever seen you do the same set twice. Not that comics who do the same set are, are bad or worse comics. It's a different style. But but I have mass respect for people when I go like, like we did the live stream at the Laugh Factory. Yeah. So the, the virus kicks in. We're quarantined. The Laugh Factory starts doing live stream. And people show up and they're doing their, their, their A, A hits because there's no audience. So yeah. there's no feedback. <laughs> there's no laughter. And as you know, most people, when there's no laughter, they're like, I'm not going to try fucking new shit. Right. I'm just going right. to do my fucking like press play on the tape machine and fucking power through with my A material. And I was just watching you did you did a completely crafted set based around the coronavirus. It was like half hour. I was like, this motherfucker <laughs> What? That's not right. Again, man, because I love the art, right? And that's the art. And and it's like, what do you have to lose? Why wouldn't you do new material? You're doing it for no audience in the middle of the afternoon to YouTube. <laughs> Why not do new shit? And, and you know, I've done it a couple of times and we joke I joke about bombing because I was like, now I have a new story. Like when they ask, what's the worst you've ever bombed? <laughs> oh, that would have to be April 16th at the Laugh Factory <laughs> at three in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, no one heard it. And yet everyone heard it, you know. So, yeah, man, that that's just from the creative standpoint of the love of stand up. Like, why wouldn't I do that? As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people trashing that. There are a lot of comics trashing this online, right? Saying yeah. that, you know, oh, you're doing it in a Zoom meeting or you're doing a live stream and, and it's not real comedy. There's no audience, this and that. It's like, well, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I could either do that or I could be like you sitting at home. Like Kathleen Madigan used to always talk about it when comics, back when they had the forums and this and that, she'd be like, yeah, just a bunch of angry middle acts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just a bunch of angry middle acts talking shit about people who are working mm -hmm. so you know we're trying to make it work because what else are you going to do yeah and so, that's going to be the reality for a, a while now we don't know how long this is going to last or what it's going to be so we're all trying to figure it out yeah right? it's like in the 80s during aids like when you wore condoms like you don't want to wear condoms you don't prefer it but like right. you have to so you don't get the disease it's like yeah. that's comedy on zoom it's the same right. fucking mentality and then and then you realize that condom was going to save you on child support <laughs> and you were like this ain't a bad idea, man. I'm, I ain't got to worry about Let me tell you. I'll tell you, Bill. 2008. 2008 was a celebration for me because we started wearing condoms in 1990. And when 2008 came, I said, well, if he was mine, he's 18 now, so I ain't got to worry about him. I'm off the hook. I'm off the hook. If I got one out there, they're 18. I ain't got shit to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> You're also one of these people who, and I used to think this about Judah Freelander. You know Judah Freelander. Love so Judah. 
Love him too. Dude. But he's also one of those guys like you don't really know much about his personal life. Like if Judah, if it ends up that Judah has is married with four kids, I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. But if he was just like crushing puss every night, I'd also be like, <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. Like I don't know if you're if you're just single by choice, married or what. What you got a girl waiting you for know, you? You know, um, a long time ago, I heard Louis Black say. Because Lou never got married. Lou, you know what I mean? He's like, ah, I'm married to this shit. <laughs> and that's what it is. I'm married to this shit. No, I date. Um, you know, I've been in relationships, out of relationships. For, for one thing, remember, I started late, right? So I started when I was 30. So I went through my chasing pussy phase, but it wasn't as long because I was already older. You know what yeah. I mean? I was already kind of, you know, when you, when you get in your 40s, man, if you're in your 40s in the green room, trying to bang a 22-year-old waitress, <laughs> that's just fucking sad at that point. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, it happens. Listen, it hap- I had an experience where this chick, she was great. She said, you're going to be my old guy, right? She was crazy hot. She said, I have 10 guys I want to sleep with before I get married, and you're going to be my old guy. I was like 50. 50- 45 and she was like maybe 21 22 and i was like i'll be that yeah i'm gonna I'm make that sacrifice i'm gonna be your old guy <laughs> i don't want so you can but for you so you can cross that off your list you know <laughs> so yeah so that but and the other thing is man i've been sober you know i mean i did my cocaine thing in the 80s oh, right? really i went through all of that and i went to rehab again my timing is bad so i went to rehab in 88 nobody was going to rehab in 88 <laughs> Wouldn't get no press for going to rehab in '88, Bill. Nobody gave a shit. But, but I I've been clean and sober since. So my whole career, I've been clean and sober. So I have no problem with people getting high, smoking weed, drinking, doing whatever they do. But I don't do it. Yeah. So I'm, you know, so it's so that world, it's like do your thing, but I'm not going. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, makes Cause sense. Because I've been there, done that. I I don't knock it because hey, whatever works for you. If it's fun, this or that. But at the same time, I've already done that, you know. So, so like, listen, you you want to smoke a little weed after the show? Like, listen, I used to smoke crack. So yeah, <laughs> did you really smoke crack? Yeah, yeah. It was the '80s, Bill. We, <laughs> what we did. So it's like your blunt don't impress me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Your blunt ain't going. No, that ain't going to do it for me. <laughs> I've been big time. You understand? They did TV specials about shit I did. Yeah. You know. So so anyway. Um, so that's why I'm not that guy. And and I, I hang out. I like hanging out with comics because they get it. I like talking to comics who are serious about it, who, you know, not the bullshit, but the ones who love it. And you know how that is. You know, comics recognize comics and we, we recognize bullshit. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I can sit and talk with comics for hours about comedy and, and everything that goes with it. Like we were talking about this, man. I haven't not been to an airport in this long in over 20 years yeah i'm sure you know you know how weird it is to not have to be at the airport (laughs) like right now i don't have any flights booked Uh, on my apps i canceled the last one this week i don't i can't tell you the last time i didn't have a flight booked somewhere yeah gotta be going somewhere you know so that kind of thing so when you and you could talk to comics about it i remember after 9 11 bumping into Doug Stanhope at the airport at like five in the morning. And we might've been the only two people there. Cause it's like, yeah, comics, we're going back to work. We, <laughs> we got to, you know, and it, it was, it was cool. So those are the kind of things that I love being a comic because we get it. Yeah. We understand each other with shit like that, that other people don't. So yeah, man, I like hanging out, but no, I'm not the, 
I'm not the party guy. I'm not chasing, you know. Yeah, of course. Like we were joking about Dane. Like Dane, again, this is why I called him a rock star. It was like every woman loved him. Every man wanted to be his friend. Yeah. You know, Dalia. Dalia's like that, man. I'd be, I'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> what kind of magic do you have? And we laugh about it. But, it, you know, it's cool. And, and, you know, he's doing whatever. But it was the, like there was just a period where I would see Dalia and these women would be like stunningly hot. Yeah. Just, and I'm like, what the hell? Still, I did still 20. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did 20 at the Laugh Factory. They didn't give me one of those. Yeah. How'd you do that? You know? I had a funny moment just yesterday. I bumped into Delia at the, a coffee bean. I was walking down the street. I bumped into him. And uh, and we just talked for like 20 minutes, wherever I walked away. And then the comic messaged me on, on Instagram and said, I saw you talking to Delia at the coffee bean. Uh, no, he goes, I saw you this coffee bean. I was going to stop and say hi, but I saw Delia there. So then I think, does she does she hate him? Is there a beef? And I, I go, well, why didn't you? He goes, well, my hair looked bad. I didn't want him to see me like that. I'm like, I guess it doesn't matter if I see you with <laughs> shitty hair. But if Delia sees you sit here, like, there goes your fucking career or whatever the fuck it is. He and I used to bump into each other at the Ralphson Studio City at, like, two between 2 and 3 in the morning yeah. on Fridays and Saturdays. Like, after the last set, it was, it was the most random thing, but it happened over and over. I think we <laughs> talked more there than we did, you know, upstairs at the factory. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a cool guy. It's funny. But, but so... So that happens, you know, and then you got the guys who were just hounds. Believe me, I I knew guys, especially in the 90s, man. If there was a Me Too, if there was video on phone, oh, shit. I know guys who would still be in jail today. If one of those guys is Eddie Griffin, <laughs> I've already fucking threatened that guy on fucking social media. So These, anyway. There's guys who would still be in jail today if there was a Me Too back then. It was, it was crazy that shit went on on the road in green rooms and and. It was yeah, it was madness. Yeah, where people was roofies like a thing that people did like because I always thought that roofies were almost like apocryphal. Like I've never we were like, oh my god, I got roofied. I'm like, no, you had 17 Jaeger bombs, you fucking mess. Yeah, it was. I think it was both comics didn't roofie. Yeah, but yeah, guys were doing that. Yeah, yeah, people were doing that. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much. You know, I, I really don't know how much, but I do know. Like, there were comics, there were headliners, like, if a woman wanted to open her middle, she had to fuck him. That blows you know? my mind. And I would be like, how do you even ask that? <laughs> How's that God? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how do you even ask that of a, of a woman comic? But it was like, yeah, it was, yeah you, yeah. you had to. That was just a given. Yeah. You know, if you want to open for the, for so-and-so and, and whatnot. And then there was, you know, the waitresses at comedy clubs, they'd be like, man, don't do it. Don't do it. Because... You hook up with a waitress, it's going to end badly, and they're going to fire you, not her. Interesting. And I saw that happen to guys. And it, But there were some towns, you know, where it was like, you think you're hooking up. It's like, no, man, it's just your turn. <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she's here every week, and yeah. she bangs the headliner. That's Jay her. Leno would always, in his uh, autobiography, he talked about, he goes, if you were on the road and you could hook up with a waitress, it meant you were a good comic. Because they yeah. see everybody. If they want to fuck you... That, you must way, be killing it. That was that was true, but then there were others who just fucked everybody who came <laughs> through, you know. And and we, you know, I talk about it all the time when people talk about groupies. I'm like, yeah, keep this in mind. Rock stars write love songs. Comics write jerk off jokes. Yeah. Okay. Our groupie game ain't as big as they might think. <laughs> it happens. I've had a few, but it doesn't. It's not. It's not what people think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you get. 
you know, you get so like you get so tired of the game, man. I remember I was it wasn't Miami, it might have been West Palm. And I did this show and I'm having dinner with this uh woman and she ex stripper manager strip club, right? Hot but MILF before there, there was a name for before it. Before there was a category, Pornhub. And we're having dinner, and I was like, you know, this is literally better than fucking you. Because <laughs> you when you're on the road all the time, you do everything alone, this and that. Mm-hmm. Now to get to sit down and have a conversation with an intelligent adult, it was <laughs> like, can we just talk? Like, <laughs> I don't need anything more than this, you know? And it was, she was laughing because she was like, yeah, I know what you mean. Like yeah. that, that that does happen at times right where you know you you can hook up but it becomes the same thing after a while you know if you i mean and i'm talking about the guys who try to do it every week like after every shit it's like man that's a lot of effort exhausting it's a lot of time and effort for what you know then you're like what did you what did you accomplish (laughs) i came and then the guys who um the guys who fuck around on their wives on the road, it's kind of like, so what do you think she's doing at home right now? You just yeah. plant that in their head. Like, just <laughs> wonder what she's up to. Yeah. Like, Man, fuck you. Like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have, um, so there are a couple things I want to ask you now is like, moving forward with this, with the pandemic, do you have a prediction or idea about where comedy is going, where the industry is going? And I also want to know like, what, what your kind of plans are for the future in general. Um, I have no timeline but we will be back and the reason i say comedy will be back because we're the ones who tell the truth yeah they can't get rid of us we've been around since the court jester yeah we're the ones who tell the truth and people will always want to hear us so you know they're already talking about some clubs are doing like social distance shows i think sure bricktown in oklahoma city i saw a thing on twitter i think brad williams was going there and they're like we're going to be at like 30 or 40 percent capacity we're going to put people at every other table and you can only sit with the people you came in with you know and then i was talking to a guy in vegas and he said they're looking at doing it on rooftops and outdoors oh yeah where people could and he said comedy would be the easiest thing to be back because it's only one person on stage that's true and people can sit people could sit in a you know like in a parking lot like this six feet from each other and still all laugh together yeah you know so they're they're looking at bringing us back but but on a timetable i have no idea now i just bought a a computer two monitors the light because i got to set it up at home to do it professionally because i'm doing it so much now like yeah it's beyond sitting there with my laptop you know with half my face in shadow it's like because people are paying now. People are paying to know, come to virtual shows. So you got to make it look like a show. You got to make it look more professional. So I'm, I'm doing that. And I'm learning some stuff about computers and, and sound and lighting and shit like that. The stuff that I would always leave to yeah. the experts. Uh-huh. I'm like, look, man, I'm show up. <laughs> you know, like sound check. I'm like talking to the mic. If you can hear it, it'll be fine. You <laughs> yeah. know, but now I'm so I'm having to learn that kind of stuff. Um, fortunately for now, I'm okay financially. I can't say that, you know, I never work again or two years from now, you know, I don't know, but, but I'm okay right now. Um, yeah. So we're just doing this. We're doing this kind of stuff, man, this Mm -hmm. podcast or zooms or whatever I'm doing. This is my job now, you know, and I'll tell you one 
thing and you do this so you know the difference it's weird because now we work in the daytime yeah you know um listen my prime is 10 at night 11 at night <laughs> and ain't nothing to do 11 at night but but you know i got to do a, a zoom at 10 30 tomorrow morning i got no business being <laughs> funny at 10 30 in the damn morning you know yeah. so so that's the difference yeah and uh in terms of like career stuff do you think do you have like it do you have a thing like i always my goal as as a, as an entertainer as a creative person has always been like one day i want to get that crazy role and win an oscar it was never stadiums or madison mm-hmm. square garden i just never thought about that when i was coming up in my 20s but is that something you think about? Like, do, do you want to do like stage? My, my you... last thing I want, and, and I would love to, I'd love to be a draw. I'd love to be. But you are a draw. I know, but I'm talking, you know, a 2000 yeah, seat theater kind of draw. You know, yeah. I would, I would love to, that, but I want to do a topical talk show. Yeah. That's in my wheelhouse and I've come close and I've done, you know, I've had one season of a lot of things. I had yeah. a car show for one That's season. That's right, I remember that. I did a talk show with Chris Collinsworth, the football guy. Oh, wow. We did a thing for for a season. Um, Mind of a Man was a great, like, game show network thing that D-Ray Davis hosted and I was one of the regular, like, I was the panelist they wanted on every week. They would rotate yeah. other comics, but they wanted me there all the time. And so... You know, I, I used to joke with Aisha Tyler. I'd be like, wow, Aisha, what's season two like? What's it? And she's like, oh, that's when it kicks in. Yeah. Yeah, it gets good season two, you know. And, and uh, so I would love to do some topical talk. We're, we're developing. We're working on something now. And we're pitching it. You know, we'll pitch it when when we're open again. Yeah. You know? But also um, now, now I think one of the things that's being seen is that we're our own studios now. You can yeah, get well, that talk show you know, on we're your doing own terms. The sizzle, yeah, we're doing the sizzle reel and this and that. But, you know, it's still bigger when you get that behind you. Of course. When you get on, uh, when you get a network or, or something like that, you know. So, so yeah, I would still love to do that. You know, acting-wise, I, I don't consider myself an actor. You know, technically I am. I've seen uh, you in movies. I've yeah, I've ones, done a yeah. couple Usually but you're the big fucking scary I, bouncer type of guy. Absolutely stereotype. Bouncer, yeah. security guy, cop, or criminal, which is cool with me. But I always wanted to be the the uh, hitman who makes fun of you before he kills you. <laughs> like, I want to be the bad guy with a sense of humor. I've always yeah. thought that was a great role. And, and you know, Terry Crews came along, and they were like, Alonzo, we're not going to need you ever <laughs> because we had. It's, this is, I'll, I'll tell you this story because uh, I told Terry this story the first time I met him. So back in late 90s, early 2000s, sometime, uh, Schwarzenegger did this movie, and it was called The Sixth Something, but it was about cloning, right? Um, I don't know, it's The Sixth Man or whatever. Anyway, yeah. so there were these three hitmen, three, no, it was a woman and two men. They were trying to kill him, right? And they would keep missing and killing each other, and then they'd be cloned, and they would come back, right? So uh, I know when this was, this had to be like 98 or 99 because I was still with William Morris because I remember this. So I go up and, and I'm, to me it was funny. And I, I was admit it and they were like, wow, we never thought of that. It's <laughs> funny. We love this. So I get the call back and you know how it is. You're trying for a big movie. Yeah. So I'm on the fourth call back, right? And this is why I tell people, this is when I learned your agent doesn't matter. So Schwarzenegger was with William Morris. The director was with William Morris. 
I'm on my fourth callback, but nobody from William Morris calls him and says, hey, put this kid in the movie, right? So Terry Crews got it. And the reason Terry got it, they said, yeah, you were funny, but he's bigger than you. Because he was, you know, coming off his NFL career. He, yeah. he was big and he was, yo. I was big, but I wasn't in NFL shape, you know. Yeah. And they said, it just works better with him, right? So I said, when I met him, I said, so Terry, you know, fuck you for ending my movie career before it even started, right? And he laughed and he said, let me show you something. So he showed me on YouTube. He played, I think he played for the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know who he played for, but he was on the kickoff team and he's running down and this guy hit him and he's knocked out. And he said, man, if you ever get mad at me, just go to YouTube and watch me get knocked the fuck out. Cause it, you know, and, but, but again, that was one of those things like who knows what might have happened had I got that. But that that's yeah. the role I've always wanted to be, that the the bad guy with a sense of humor about yeah. it. You know, that that's the part that would make it fun. Yeah. I mean yes, Carolyn, you're gonna say something. No, Terry Crews did not let's not put that out there. Terry Crews got sexually assaulted by a a, a gay agent. And it was kind of interesting and weird when that happened because you're kinda like yeah, it's important that men talk about it too. Because look, I came up doing theater in New York, right? Like, so and, you and yeah. I was you were the I only straight pretty. guy, right? I was. I mean, there's some more than you think, but like, <laughs> I was pretty in my 20s, and so yeah. gay guys would grab my ass. I'm like, oh, you stop it! I wouldn't even think about it as like a weird thing. I'm like, that's gay theater people. They want to grab your ass and talk about your dick, and uh, it never really uh, bothered me. But I think it was interesting that he brought it up. I'm like, well, it's also you know there was a lot of people like, well, you're Terry Crews. Why don't you whip their ass or whatever. <laughs> Right. But there's also the the weird thing would be if you're him in that situation, maybe you don't know your way around yet. And maybe you're thinking like the last thing I can do as a big black guy is punch this guy in the mouth of because course. it's not going to go over well. Yes. And then if he denies it, you know, what I mean, like he he was in and he wasn't the star he is now. Yeah. So at that time, that's a very awkward position for him to be in. Right. Yeah. So. So. You know, it, it. I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of things like that, that it's one thing from the outside looking in. And, of course, the easy joke as a comic, the easy joke was like, Terry, why don't you whip his ass, blah, blah, blah. And we, we have to do that. We're comics. We yeah. have to do that, right? But you try to do something better than the lowest hanging fruit. But, you know, you comment on it. But, yeah, that had to be like a weird, a weird, especially if it was just a quick moment where you're not even sure. Like, did that guy touch my dick, like, <laughs> yeah. intentionally, or what? Wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, and he's a big power player in Hollywood. What just happened, guy? you know? Yeah. yeah. So you, it's it's a, that can be a weird thing. And it and it is true, you know, it, that, like, take it from me. I'm a big black man. I know when we do something, it can be considered more intimidating or more, like, it becomes a criminal act. You know what I mean? Like, when, when one person does, like, because I remember... Um, I dated a cop, right? When I first came out here, like one of the first women I met, didn't know she was a cop when I met her, but, but this is in your cocaine days too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she said, she said, listen, if the cops pull you over, be very careful. Could they shoot guys like you? Yeah. Cause I'm from New York and New York cops were, were cool. And mm -hmm. they, New York cops, they were like, man, I ain't writing up the paperwork. Put that joint out and get the hell. They literally, that's what they'd be like, but put that joint out and get the hell out of here. You know, they were pretty cool with ordinary people. This was before Giuliani went stupid in New York. But anyway, yeah. but she told me, she said, yeah, you're, you're a threat just by your existence. You're, you know, cause you're, you're bigger than them. 
Yeah. And they're afraid of you, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's one of those things. I didn't think about it because when, where I grew up, everyone was my size. Everybody, all the brothers was like, if you didn't hit six feet, it was like, man, what the hell's wrong <laughs> where, where with you, you again? Queens. Queens, yeah, yeah. JMA Queens. And it's like, if you, like, you hope to make six feet because that was just normal. So yeah. six, two, six, three, whatever, that was, that was like normal. So I didn't think of myself as big yeah. until I left the neighborhood and I'd be looking at <laughs> like, yeah, I guess to you, I am kind of big. Like, yeah. I never thought of that. But, you know, yeah. it's like, like when people are like, man, you in the NBA? I'm like, obviously, you've never seen anyone in the NBA <laughs> because those guys, you know, see, there's a big difference between six three, six four, and six nine, six yes. ten. Yeah, you know, and 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 to be an athlete, I used to work out with those guys, man. I worked out with pro football players. It's like I tell people, like, you don't understand how strong a human being can be. Yeah, if you see them, the shape that they're in, crazy, the strength that, and it's like, yeah, they they. They will hurt you, just yeah. but but you have to be aware of that. So um, so getting back to the Terry Crews thing and all that again, and I don't know, but it might he just might have had that moment where he was like, man, don't do this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like like the Rock can't hit anybody. Yeah, of course not. You know what I mean? He can't hit anybody. He'd he'd be sued. He'd be in jail. Whatever. Whereas Kevin Hart can punch you right in the mouth, and people are like, oh, <laughs> isn't that cute? Kevin jumped up on a stool and punched me in the mouth. Just a matter of who you are. <laughs> hey, Lonzo, listen, man. Dude, it's so awesome that you came. Thank you. I've been begging you for a while. Yeah, well, you know. You're one of the, dude, you're one, uh, one of the best comics of all time. I'm going to fucking you, say I, that. No, I really appreciate that. I'm honored, humbled by that. That's cool. I just, like I said, I love the fact that I can work with anybody. I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing. I look for, and you have a special out right now on, on Amazon. On Amazon, heavy heavy lightweights uh, came out last summer. When all of this ends, I will record something. I don't yeah. know what. Yeah. You, you talk about being ahead of the curve. Harlan Williams recorded a special with no audience in the desert by himself. Oh, I remember that? Yeah. Damn! How did he know? <laughs> <laughs> how did Harlan know? He knew. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah, so who knows, man? It, it's, uh, we'll be out there. And I'm on social media now, ZoFunny on Instagram and my YouTube channel. I, this company, this woman, she's helping me a lot. She's cutting up clips and putting them up. So that cool. stuff is fun. And learning, you know, learning it is fun. Like, I'm only 20 years behind Dane Cook. <laughs> but 20 years from now, Dane, I'm being your ass, Dane. Yeah. 20 your years. Your MySpace is blowing up right now. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for coming. Good to see you. I'm sure. Hopefully, I'll see you on stage soon, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. All right. Good day.